Chapters forty four to forty seven of Tristram Shandy, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume four, Last Volume, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter forty four. The anguish of my knee, continued the corporal, was excessive in itself, and the uneasiness of the cart, with the roughness of the roads which were terribly cut up, making bad still worse, every step was death to me, so that with the loss of blood and the want of caretaking of me, and a fever I felt coming on besides. Poor soul, said my uncle Toby, altogether unpleased, your honour, was more than I could sustain. I was telling my sufferings to a young woman at a peasant's house, where our cart, which was the last of the line, had halted. They had helped me in, and the young woman had taken a cordial out of her pocket and dropped it upon some sugar, and seeing it had cheered me, she had given it me a second and third time. So I was telling her, and please your honour, the anguish I was in, and was saying it was so intolerable to me that I had much rather lie down upon the bed, turning my face towards one which was in the corner of the room, and die, than go on, when, upon her attempting to lead me to it, I fainted away in her arms. She was a good soul, as your honour, said the corporal, wiping his eyes, will hear. I thought love had been a joyous thing, quoth my uncle Toby. "'Tis the most serious thing, and please your honour, sometimes, that is in the world. By the persuasion of the young woman, continued the corporal, the cart with the wounded men set off without me. She had assured them I should expire immediately if I was put into the cart. So, when I came to myself, I found myself in a still quiet cottage, with no one but the young woman and the peasant and his wife. I was laid across the bed in the corner of the room, with my wounded leg upon a chair, and the young woman beside me, holding the corner of her handkerchief dipped in vinegar to my nose with one hand, and rubbing my temples with the other. I took her at first for the daughter of the peasant, for it was no inn, so had offered her a little purse with eighteen florins, which my poor brother Tom—here Trim wiped his eyes— had sent me as a token by a recruit just before he set out for Lisbon. I never told your honour that piteous story yet. Here Trim wiped his eyes a third time. The young woman called the old man and his wife into the room, to show them the money, in order to gain me credit for a bed and what little necessaries I should want, till I should be in a condition to be got to the hospital. "'Come, then,' said she, tying up the little purse, "'I'll be your banker.' but as that office alone will not keep me employed, I'll be your nurse, too." I thought by her manner of speaking this, as well as by her dress, which I then began to consider more attentively, that the young woman could not be the daughter of the peasant. She was in black, down to her toes, with her hair concealed under a cambric border, laid close to her forehead. She was one of those kind of nuns, and please, your honour, of which, your honour knows, there are a good many in Flanders, which they let go loose. By thy description, Trim, said my uncle Toby, I dare say she was a young Beguin, of which there are none to be found anywhere but in the Spanish Netherlands, 
except at Amsterdam, they differ from nuns in this, that they can quit their cloister if they choose to marry. They visit and take care of the sick by profession. I had rather, for my own part, they did it out of good nature. She often told me, quoth Trim, she did it for the love of Christ. I did not like it. I believe, Trim, we are both wrong, said my uncle Toby. We'll ask Mr. Yorick about it to-night at my brother Shandy's. So put me in mind, added my uncle Toby. The young Beguin, continued the corporal, had scarce given herself time to tell me she would be my nurse, when she hastily turned about to begin the office of one, and prepare something for me, and in a short time, though I thought it a long one, she came back with flannels, etc., etc., and having fermented my knee soundly for a couple of hours, etc., and made me a thin basin of gruel for my supper, she wished me rest, and promised to be with me early in the morning. She wished me, and please your honour, what was not to be had. My fever ran very high that night. Her figure made sad disturbance within me. I was every moment cutting the world in two to give her half of it, and every moment I was crying that I had nothing but a knapsack and eighteen florins to share with her. The whole night long was the fair Beguin, like an angel, close by my bedside, holding back my curtain and offering me cordials and I was only awakened from my dream by her coming there at the hour promised, and giving them in reality. In truth she was scarce ever from me, and so accustomed was I to receive life from her hands, that my heart sickened, and I lost colour when she left the room. And yet, continued the corporal, making one of the strangest reflections upon it in the world, it was not love for during the three weeks she was almost constantly with me, fermenting my knee with her hand night and day, I can honestly say, and please your honour, that once— "'That was very odd, Trim,' quoth my uncle Toby. "'I think so, too,' said Mrs. Wadman. "'It never did,' said the corporal. CHAPTER Forty Five. But tis no marvel, continued the corporal, seeing my uncle Toby musing upon it, for love, and please your honour, is exactly like war in this, that a soldier, though he had escaped three weeks complete a Saturday night, may nevertheless be shot through his heart on Sunday morning. It happened so here, and please your honour, with this difference only, that it was on Sunday in the afternoon when I fell in love all at once with a Cicerara. It burst upon me, and please your honour, like a bomb, scarce giving me time to say, God bless me. I thought, Trim, said my uncle Toby, a man never fell in love so very suddenly. Yes, and please your honour, if he is in the way of it, replied Trim. I prithee, quoth my uncle Toby, inform me how this matter happened. With all pleasure, said the corporal, making a bow. CHAPTER Forty Six. I had escaped, continued the corporal, all that time from falling in love, and had gone on to the end of the chapter, had it not been predestined otherwise, there is no resisting our fate. It was on a Sunday in the afternoon, as I told your honour. The old man and his wife had walked out. Everything was still and hush as midnight about the house. There was not so much as a duck or a duckling about the yard. 
when the fair Begwim came in to see me. My wound was then in a fair way of doing well. The inflammation had been gone off for some time, but it was succeeded with an itching both above and below my knee so insufferable that I had not shut my eyes the whole night for it. "'Let me see,' said she, kneeling down upon the ground parallel to my knee, and laying her hand upon the part below it. "'It only wants rubbing a little,' said the Begwin. So covering it with the bedclothes, she began with the forefinger of her right hand to rub under my knee, guiding her forefinger backwards and forwards by the edge of the flannel which kept on the dressing. In five or six minutes I felt slightly the end of her second finger, and presently it was laid flat with the other, and she continued rubbing in that way round and round for a good while. It then came into my head that I should fall in love. I blushed when I saw how white a hand she had. I shall never, and please your honour, behold another hand so white whilst I live." "'Not in that place,' said my uncle Toby. Though it was the most serious despair in nature to the corporal, he could not forbear smiling. "'The young Beguine,' continued the corporal, perceiving it was of great service to me, from rubbing for some time with two fingers, proceeded to rub at length with three till by little and little she brought down the fourth, and then rubbed with her whole hand. I will never say another word, and please your honour upon hands again, but it was softer than satin. "'Prithee, Trim, commend it as much as thou wilt,' said my uncle Toby. "'I shall hear thy story with the more delight.' The corporal thanked his master most unfeignedly, but having nothing to say upon the Begwin's hand but the same over again, he proceeded to the effects of it. "'The fair Begwin!' said the corporal, continued rubbing with her whole hand under my knee, till I feared her zeal would weary her. I would do a thousand times more, said she, for the love of Christ. In saying which, she passed her hand across the flannel to the part above my knee, which I had equally complained of, and rubbed it also. I perceived then I was beginning to be in love. As she continued rub-rub-rubbing, I felt it spread from under her hand, and please your honour to every part of my frame. The more she rubbed, and the longer stroke she took, the more the fire kindled in my veins, until at length, by two or three strokes longer than the rest, my passion rose to the highest pitch, I seized her hand. And then thou clapst it to thy lips, Trim, said my uncle Toby, and madest a speech. Whether the corporal's amour terminated precisely in the way my uncle Toby described it, is not material. It is enough that it contained in it the essence of all the love-romances which have ever been wrote since the beginning of the world. CHAPTER Forty Seven. As soon as the corporal had finished the story of his amour, or rather my uncle Toby for him, Mrs. Wadman silently sallied forth from her arbour, replaced the pin in her mob, passed the wicker-gate, and advanced slowly towards my uncle Toby's sentry-box. The disposition which Trim had made in my uncle Toby's mind was too favourable a crisis to be let slipped. The attack was determined upon. It was facilitated still more by my uncle Toby's having ordered the corporal to wheel off the pioneer's shovel, the spade, the pickaxe, the piquet, and the other military stores which lay scattered upon the ground where Dunkirk stood. The corporal had marched, the field was clear. Now consider, sir, what nonsense it is, either in fighting, or writing, or anything else, whether in rhyme to it or not, which a man has occasion to do, to act by plan. 
for if ever plan, independent of all circumstances, deserved registering in letters of gold, I mean in the archives of Gotham, it was certainly the plan of Mrs. Wadman's attack of my uncle Toby in his sentry-box. By plan, now the plan hanging up in it at this juncture, being the plan of Dunkirk, and the tale of Dunkirk a tale of relaxation, it opposed every impression she could make, and besides, could she have gone upon it, the manoeuvre of fingers and hands in the attack of the sentry-box was so outdone by that of the fair Begwins in Trim's story, that just then that particular attack, however successful before, became the most heartless attack that could be made. No, oh, let woman alone for this. Mrs. Wadman had scarce opened the wicker-gate when her genius sported with the change of circumstances. She formed a new attack in a moment. End of chapters 44 to 47